Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. It's my great joy this morning to preach a special sermon about the church, why we love the church and how to love the church and a few of the most important things to remember about the church. And Lord willing, we'll return to Isaiah next week. But this morning we have the privilege of welcoming some new members at the close of the of this sermon, I'll, I'll take you through our church covenant, which is uh, what we covenant together uh, and how to love one another and how to love the church. To come at it from the positive side, it is always a great joy to preach on the church, especially when we're welcoming new members. To come at it from the sort of negative side, and I say this with a sort of a wry smile on my face, you know, the church was founded by Jesus Christ and he got his best guys, his apostles, to do his best work, which he said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against, and the work that he came and bled and died for. He got his best guys to do his best work, and so the church began in the New Testament. And then what happened? Anybody read 1 Corinthians? If you're in ABF and you're going through 1 Corinthians... How much of 1 Corinthians would we have if the church didn't completely go off the rails right away? This is Jesus, and he's sending his best guys to do his best work, and immediately, just think about it like this. How, okay, I'll give you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That would pretty much be your whole New Testament if churches didn't go off the rails. That's, that's what makes up the substance of almost every other book. Then you get to the last book, the book of Revelation. And it opens with the letters to the churches, depending how you take those letters. I take those letters as there's seven of them. Two of them, the church is okay. Five churches, I take it that they have a fatal flaw. So what's that? We get to the end of the New Testament and two churches out of seven make it. I wonder, I wonder if that stat's still, still true today. Or I wonder if it's one church out of seven. Or one church out of 17. I don't know. I was listening to a podcast uh, last week and uh, it was on church leadership and it said that the uh, average pastor lasts in a church between three to four years, then he's out. How, but how, how long do, do churches last? Like, I don't know. How frequent is it that the leadership of the church, say the elders, the pastoral staff, um, they start committing habitually and unrepentantly the sins that they supposedly preach against? And the church is shipwrecked. Or can I put the boot on the other foot? How often do pastors and elders faithfully declare the word? And church members who want to stay in the church but do not want to do what the Bible says drive out faithful church leaders. Happens all the time. And so I think it's important for us to look together at why we love the church. And I'll just give you this morning three ways that you can be sure that you love the church. Three clarifying understandings about the church. Um, 
And as we open God's word, let's pray. Lord God, teach me that I may teach them. Holy Spirit of the living God, sanctify and enable my mind and my mouth that I may deliver your word faithfully and fruitfully. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory, amen. Well, three ways to love the church. First, measure the church rightly. What is, what is the way that you would measure a church? The first way I want you to love the church is to measure the church rightly. I'll show you this from several texts. Let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. If you want to know the goal of the church, if you want to know how to measure a church, measure the love from a pure heart, the good conscience in the lives of the church members and church leadership, and then the sincerity of faith. And without reading the whole chapter, just look at the last, say, three verses of chapter 1 when he says this is, the, this is the measure of the church, the love from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Look at verse 18 now. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. It's a fight to hold on to love and faith and a good conscience. And look why. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You know what word doesn't come to mind enough when we ask the question, how do we measure the church? This is my word. Endurance. Endurance. And this is, if you would permit me, my little hobby horse. We measure the church with all the wrong metrics. We are way too into budgets and dollars. We are way too into numbers. How many people are attending? How many new people are joining the church? We, are, we're way, we put way too much emphasis on uh, like radical, impressive testimonies. Really. What does the New Testament emphasize? The New Testament emphasizes that it is simply the will of God that you not shipwreck the faith. That you hold on to faith with a good conscience. That's it. Enduring to the end with a good conscience does not necessarily make a powerful video testimony that everyone in the church is going to go nuts over just to endure to the end. It's not dramatic. It's not flashy. 
But I would submit to you, this is the measure of the church that we love, just to endure to the end. Every church is filled with imperfect people who annoy and bother one another. And a mark of gospel fidelity is that you don't give up on those people and go try to find another church where the people don't annoy you as much. I could talk about uh, music styles. I could talk about, well, my eight-year-old liked this program, but then they changed it and my, they don't like it anymore. And I'm not saying those things aren't difficult to work through, but I am saying, where's the endurance? The church isn't the building or the programs. It is the people. And it takes, it takes heart to endure with imperfect people in an imperfect place. That's the measure of the church that I think is, is f so precious to the Spirit of God and we don't talk about it nearly enough. I could show it to you in Ephesians 5 and 10 if you want to flip over there, or 5 and 6, I should say. He says in Ephesians 5, Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He's talking about having a good conscience. He's talking about not shipwrecking the faith by your conduct. And then he says in verse 4, don't let filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, instead let your life be filled with thanksgiving. You may be sure of this, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure, or who's covetous, greedy, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In verse 6, he's almost saying they're making excuses for their shipwrecking. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the measure and the mark of a faithful church member. He or she tries to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The natural carnal church member always tries to find what is pleasing to me. The spirit-filled church member who endures to the end is always obsessing about what pleases the Lord. We judge churches by the outer man all the time. But the Holy Spirit of God says to be renewed in the inner man. We find people that are impressive. We find people that are popular. We find people that the world would say are successful. We think they'll be the, the if, if we can get them in the church, they'll draw people into their orbit. I just have a deep conviction that church leaders who view people according to the outer man and worldly standards are functioning in an ungodly way and measuring the church in an ungodly and detrimental way. The inner man is what matters. Let the church be filled with persons who are not attractive in a worldly sense. Let the church be filled with people that the world would say that they, they have no, they, they don't belong to us. They, they have no success according to our measures. 
And the Spirit of God delights in that. Walk in the light. And if you're in Ephesians 5, if I could just show you one thing in Ephesians 6, look at, he, he's, he has the armor of God in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. And then he's going to talk all about the armor of God and satanic warfare. It sounds so dramatic. But just look at how simple it is. Remember my word, endurance. Look at how simple it is. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. We ain't wrestling about, about flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places there. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, pop. Stand firm. Stand firm. He doesn't say you have to have an impressive three-minute story on YouTube. He doesn't say you have to look great. Just stand firm to the end. Don't shipwreck. Don't give up on people when they hurt you. Church, do not underestimate the value of simple endurance. Your presence here is, uh, is like God's profoundest blessing to me and to the other people who bump into you here. Just, just your presence that you're enduring that you're enduring to the end. Don't underestimate the simple value of your presence. One of the most precious things to us, that's not an exaggeration, one of the most precious things to us about the ministry ever seen Bible Church is that it is uh, multi-generational. Churches tend to grow with younger families and that's good, I suppose that's, the way that it ought to be, but uh, churches that are that are only young families, or on the other side, a church that's only folks who are in their sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, a church that's that has that, that's representative, that's that all the generations are represented. Listen, you don't have to turn there. Just uh, I love Psalm ninety-two. If your hair is getting gray, memorize Psalm ninety-two verses 12 to 15. Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God and they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. I am... Um, I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever done this, but my guess is you haven't because what I do is a little weird. But I weep. I weep. Uh, when I think about 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old boys that don't have a dad, don't have a granddad, and they ask Siri, you know, what about this? How do I do that? What about this? How sad. How sad. Nobody has to be without a grandpa and a dad and a mom and a grandma if they are a part of the church. There, there is so much more wisdom in you than there is in Google. Just be here 
and enable those relationships where you can share that wisdom one with another, generation to generation. It is precious to me. Don't underestimate the value of your presence here and don't measure the church by the wrong metric. Well, that's first, the measure of the church. Second, let me speak about the leaders of the church. Speak about leadership in the church. Reading from 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he manage God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And then he says, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, deceitful doctrines will come along. Leadership and the church. I guess in the first point about the measure of the church, my word maybe was endurance, standing firm, simple presence. If you, if you would only give me two words on leadership, these words aren't going to surprise you. It would be prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. That is, if, and this isn't fair, you made me summarize the qualities of leadership, which are variegated here in 1 Timothy 3. If I, could only, if I could only summarize them with two aspects, it would be a man who has a deep and abiding prayer life, which means a man who has a genuine fear of the Lord and a non-hypocritical relationship with the living God, a sincere faith and a good conscience. That's first, a deep and abundant prayer life that manifests a genuine fear of the Lord, the reality of God's presence, that would be first. And then second, the leadership of the church has to have a no compromise and no substitute position when it comes to Holy Scripture, the Word of God. 
When God has spoken, that is what we receive. We don't end around it. We don't overthink it. We don't edit it for 2022. It's God's word and it's good. If you gave me two and only two features, those would be the two. Integrity of life manifest in prayer and then integrity of teaching manifest in no compromised commitment to the word of God in all that it says. That is, popularity, pragmatism doesn't guide us, Scripture does. How do we make and train disciples? If our mission is to make and train disciples, who make and train disciples, how do we make and train disciples? By prayerfully opening up the Word of God one with another. That's it, prayer and the Word. By prayerfully opening up the Word of God with one another. One of the books that we read together as elders, uh, put it this way, the proclamation of the word of God and the prayerful dependence upon the spirit of God grows the church. The proclamation of the word of God and the prayerful dependence on the spirit of God grows the church. That is, when we're making and training disciples, we open up the good news about Jesus and the spirit of Jesus opens our hearts in prayer and we begin to learn and grow. Sound doctrine is required of the leaders of the church. So much so that Titus 1.9 says, not only do, do the elders need to be strong in sound doctrine, but it says they must be able to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. That's the, the office of overseer, the office of guardian of keeping the wolvish doctrines away from Christ's precious lambs. And this is important in our day and age. Uh, one of the best uh, books that I read in the last two years, the best explanation of what's going on in our world is that big, thick, it's like a 500-page book by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which I, I don't recommend it to you unless you like 500-page academic books. But uh, wisely, his publisher just reissued that book as like a 110-page paperback that summarizes the key message, and I would recommend you do pick up that one unless you're a nerd like me. But the book is about expressive individualism and that the error of our age is this, identifying one's true self as one's feelings and desires. The error of our age is identifying one's true self as one's feelings and desires. And that personal authenticity consists in acting on your feelings and never saying no to your desires. And the book proves the thesis that that is, that is slavery masquerading as freedom. True freedom, true freedom is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, and faithfulness. Church leaders who follow prayer and the word of God. I think that church leaders use the phrase, I feel, too often. I almost said, I feel like church leaders use the phrase, I feel, too often, but then I would be, physician, heal thyself. I think we use the phrase, I feel, way too often. Not a, not a, not a bad phrase. Your feelings matter. And so for you to express what you feel is an important part of interpersonal relationships. I, I'm not uncomfortable with that. And I would, be a, I would be a very poor counselor if I didn't talk to people I'm counseling about how they feel. Of course your feelings matter. But your feelings don't think. Your feelings feel. 
Your emotions don't think, they emote. Thus, if you are led by your feelings and emotions, you are led into irrational forms of self-slavery. I often come back to these three questions when I'm doing a little bit of pastoral counseling. What do you feel? What do you think? What do you know? You talk about what you feel because that's why you're here. And it's hard to deal with what you feel. And we can talk about what you think because you have an opinion and I do too. And we can talk about what you think. What do you know? That's scripture. That's scripture. What do you know? This I know. No matter what I feel like and no matter what I think, this I know. God is good. God's word is light. This I know. Many church leaders who stand on the Word of God in prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God who has given us the Word. You love the church by measuring it rightly and you love the church by submitting to godly leaders who are prayerful in the integrity of their relationship with God and who proclaim the truth without compromise. And so from leaders, third and Lastly, just uh, three points this morning. Let's talk about the members of the church, how to understand the role of church members. Let's look at uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. This prayer beginning in verse 17 or the prayer begins in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. He bows his knees before the Father and he asks that according to the Father's glory, verse 16, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. We're going to come back to that with clause. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These dramatic passages of Scripture, I find that they're they're so undramatic in their conclusions. I just showed you a couple minutes ago, like in Ephesians 6, he's like, spiritual warfare, principalities and powers, but all I'm saying is, stand strong and don't shipwreck. Here, he's like, the breadth, the height, the, 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 the infinite nature of God's love, and then he's like, and what that means is, don't get so mad at each other and be kind to each other. It's so simple. He says in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18 and 19, that the height of God's love is a mountain that, is, that cannot be scaled. And he says that the depth of God's love 
There's no plumb line that can fathom that depth. And he says the breadth of God's love is unencompassable. It cannot be spanned. But he says that it is knowable. This unfathomable love is knowable. And he says how we can know it. That's the clause in verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. This is our gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his son, his only begotten son, that he would die upon the cross, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would be saved. He died in their place that they would be born again. So the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass the whole world. And the love of Christ is long enough to last for all of eternity, to save us out of hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And the love of Christ is deep enough to reach the sinner that we would say is the furthest gone. But this multidimensionality of Christ's love requires... First, verse 16, the strength of the Spirit of God within you. And then second, verse 18, the presence of the Spirit of God in the saints who are next to you. Both of those. You have to have the strength of the Spirit of God inside of you, but you also have to have the presence of the Spirit of God in all the saints who are around you. This is, this is, the, this is the best explanation that I could give for why you need to be a member of the church and why you need to be a participant in an ABF and why you need to be faithful in your attendance here. It's not a, I, it's not a sort of finger wagging, you have to do this. It's, it's this love is so good. This love is so sweet. You'll never be able to touch it unless you do that. So why wouldn't you do that? Get in on it with all of the saints. To summarize it in a sentence, it takes the whole people of God to understand and experience the whole love of God. That's what he's saying. And if, it could, if I could make you draw a connection that it is somewhat unnatural for us to draw because we just, like I said, we, we overemphasize spectacular numbers and impressive things and we underemphasize just normal endurance. And I would want to draw a connection between verse, uh, let's see, what verse is it? Verse 2 of chapter 4, uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. If you take that as five clauses, I'm, I'm in like clause uh, A, B, C, D, the, where it says in verse 2, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love. And I want to draw a connection between that and understanding the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. What a phrase for the apostle to use, bearing with one another. Because I am, ahem, a professional communicator, I looked up a, what do you call it, that book that, has all the similar words in it. Thesaurus. Uh, so when he talks about bearing with somebody, uh, remember I said the only way we got the New Testament is because the churches were so messed up that that's why he had to write this. What is the only way you're going to have to bear with somebody in the church? 
if annoying people are in your church. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only way it's going to happen. So this is biblical proof that there will be covenant members of this church who are annoying, who rub you the wrong way, who are vexing, who are irritating, who are aggravating, who grate on you, who are abrasive, and who are, this is the one I'm most proud of, pestiferous. <laughs> there will be many of those people in your life if you become a member of this church. What a sales technique. <laughs> well, what he is saying, Ephesians 3, 16 and 19, the only way that you'll experience the depth of God's love is if God puts you in a family with <laughs> pestiferous, <laughs> aggravating people and the new you, the new you, the you that died and came out of the grave with Jesus, with the spirit of Jesus in you, the new you doesn't snap back at them. The new you bears with them. What a concept. What a concept. I, uh, um, I flew out of uh, General Mitchell earlier this week. It was an early morning flight on Tuesday. And if you remember, Tuesday early morning, it was very gray and cloudy. I hope this happens to you sometime. It's happened to me more than once, and it's a treat. It's gray and cloudy. And uh, we get in the plane, we snap our seatbelts, and the plane takes off, and we are in the clouds for like four seconds. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, everything is gold. Everything's gold. All the gray is gone, and everything is golden. And we're looking down at these sort of silver in the light of the, uh, the gray clouds with that gold touching them. It's just sort of like a silver puff underneath us. And I'm in that plane, and I'm feeling the sunshine through the window, and I'm thinking, all those poor grumpy people in the airport, it's still gray for them. And all, it just got, took us four seconds, and we got up here. This is, this, every Sunday, that's you all. And some of you, it's gray. And some of you, you run into somebody for whom it's golden, and you're annoyed at them. You're like, why can't you be as sad as I am? Okay, Eeyore, back off. Why do we do that to each other? I'm not saying if you run into somebody with a sunny complex that you will automatically become sunny. Maybe your thing won't get fixed, and it's okay to be sad. You, what you feel is what you feel. What do you feel? What do you think? What do you know? And it is in the fellowship of the redeemed that what we feel is actually finessed and somewhat transformed by the faithful brothers and sisters around us if we're open and sincere enough in our relationships and what we think and what we know is transformed if we're submissive to the gospel teaching and proclamation. This is the blessing of belonging to the church. We need each other 
to experience and know the greatness of Christ's love. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.